Gabriella, welcome to the Data Bytes podcast. Thank you so much for making the time to chat with us today. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. So I want to dive right in because you have founded lots of organizations, have worked in big tech. You have had a colorful and brilliant career. And maybe I'm being inspired by the word colorful with <laughs> because of your background. So for those lists who are just listening, Gabrielle has this beautiful green background wall that definitely open up the video and check it out because I think you'll be inspired to maybe paint your wall or something. But what I want to get into is your story. You know, how did you end up in the role you are today? And really like what led you into a technical role in the first place? Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the question. It's such a great question. And it's so funny because I feel like things are coming together as as I pro progress in my career, like things that I I had no idea that it was important doing back then when I was doing it. Like I thought I thought was like, oh, this is a side thing, or this is not as interesting, or this is not this is not going to take me anywhere. And now as I as I as I move from my profession, I'm like, yeah, that thing that I thought it was like nothing. I'm using that thing now, and and I and I'll talk a little bit about this. But like right now, I work at Microsoft as a cloud advocate manager, working on the the space of AI, ML, and data science. And my focus is mostly on education. So we work with students, developers, and educators a lot, and um. We have, we create content, we work with universities, we have like some programs for students, programs that are amazing that I wished I had this type of programs when I was a student. But the idea is to upskill this audience and to be aware of like the new technology. So we train them to use the new technology. And, and going back, like the reason why I moved or I am in, the, in this industry or the tech industry that's an interesting story. And I don't think I, you know, I didn't start right away out of college knowing exactly what I wanted to do. I had no idea that the tech industry existed. So let me go a little bit back, a few years back, <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm from Brazil. So I was born and raised in a city called Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And, and this tech space was not as big as it is here in the U.S., especially in the past few years. And I, I struggle a lot on deciding what I wanted to do after high school and doing the, the university or the college years. So I, I, w I went back and forth, a lot of like changes and what I want to do, different type of like jobs that I had or side jobs or side projects. But then in the end, finally, I, I, I majored in statistics. So I am a statistician by training. And, and then I worked in, in the, inside the university for a while doing research. So I was a researcher working on air pollution and, and public health. And then I thought I was going to be like an academic or a professor. That was kind of like my inclination back then that I thought that was the thing that I wanted to do. But then everything changed when I moved to the U.S. almost, well, 10 years ago. 
And then it was back then was when the whole explosion around data science and the, the term data science was, was born. So I, I think I was the right place, the right time. I came to do a second master's now in statistics. And it was kind of like natural for me to go and try the tech industry. And, and that's, that's how I started. And I, and I, I kept going and, and I'm still in the tech industry. So a couple questions, statistics, was there always a love of math there? I mean, how just, how do you even get into a pure love of just statistics? I, I had to be forced into statistics. And then once I, you know, finally took the class, I was like, oh, this is beautiful. Like, I love it. Right. But it wasn't like a natural, I want to major in statistics for me. So what was that like inspiration moment to even get into a mathematical field for you? Yeah, it was not something that I desired or that I said, this is what I want to do. Growing up, I wasn't a good student. I, I was very into sports and playing and being on the streets, playing and, and, and being like free. So for me, going to school and like school was more like a place to meet people and, and friends. For me to be seated in a place watching or, or seeing the lectures and then going back home and doing the homework, that was like very difficult for me, but I, I did, I did what I could, the best I could. And, and it, it was on my high school years when I, I missed one year and I had to redo that year where I don't know if I matured or like I, something happened, something clicked when I, when I had to do redo that year that I started loving physics, math, and chemistry. And I'm like, wow, this is so interesting. And, and, and I'm like, huh, interesting. And then, so I, I became better and better on the, those three subjects, but like history, geography was not my, my thing. I didn't like as much. Uh, so for a while I thought I want to do like, I want to become a veterinarian. I was thinking that I, I was going to be one. And then I was like, no, I'm not sure. Maybe I should go and do engineering because it's more like a, you know, well-known major. And especially like in some countries, you don't have a lot of options. You like, you have maybe three options, like, or, or at least that's how people tell us. You have to be either an engineer, a lawyer, or a doctor. You don't have any other options than these three. So I said, maybe I should do engineering because, you know, it's, it's one of the three main careers that people talk about. I, and I'm like, yeah, maybe engineering is a good one because I, I like math. I like chemistry. I like physics. And then I found out about statistics. Someone told me about, oh, there is this also this, this majoring statistics. If you like math. I think you are going to love it because it's more applied. It's like, it's not like pure math. You have, you see some application. And then it took me like several months in, to, to like, to wrap my head around it. And, and I wasn't sure when I was telling people that I'm like, oh, I think I'm going to do statistics. And people were like, are you crazy? Like, where are you going to work? There is no job for a statistician. And I'm like, yeah, maybe. And then it, anyway, in, in the end, I decided to do and, and go. And then the, the field was evolving to the point where 
the whole data and big data back then was growing. People, were, everything was based on data. And then I saw like, yeah, maybe that, that's an interesting field to be in. So something that resonates with me in your story is like, there's a time for us to like receive the learning. So I also had a similar experience where I did not enjoy math or physics young in the early ages of my learning experience and not until college would in you know you're forced to take general education classes and I'm so glad they make you take all the you know a breadth of classes because it really was just like the right time I, I can't tell you either what clicked in my brain but it was like my brain was now ready to understand mathematics and I'm so happy that I had that second chance for exposure and I think it's important for all of us to remember that if we're struggling with a subject that we're learning right now, maybe it's not that we're not good at it. Maybe right now it's just not the time for it, right? And that we should be open to other times because I think your story is really inspiring and doing the year of high school over and that's when it clicked, right? And led you down this whole journey that may have never been open to you if you didn't have to do it over, which is what some people may look at it like a failure, but in reality, it became like your biggest success. Yeah, exactly. And, and like looking back, it was the best thing ever. And it was tough. During the time, it was very tough because I saw my friends moving to the next, you know, to the next class and, and I was behind. And then it was tough. It was like, maybe I should change the schools and see if I can, I can move to the other level. but. Then I like, no, I'm going to stay here. It's going to be fine. I'm going, and then like everything shifts. So I'm so glad that I was able to, exactly what you were saying. Like it was like something clicked. It's kind of like a second chance. I, wa I wasn't ready maybe back then. I need maybe some more time to experience other things until I was ready to, to understand how things work. And, and I, I see that all the time in my job and in my career and in my life. Like if I'm learning something new, I'm struggling and I cannot understand. And I'm like, okay, it's not me. It's just because the timing right now is not the best. Let me do something else. And then later on, I come back. Like how many times, and you were saying, like how many times we went through this and we're like, this is not clicking. And then a few months or years pass and you are like, yes. This makes totally sales now. A hundred percent. There's a woman, she's a researcher from Stanford and she wrote the book Mindset and she has a great TED talk about growth mindset. And her key phrase that she uses all the time to have a growth mindset is not yet. And I love that phrase because it, it's not saying no and closing ourselves off from a possibility of something, but it's allowing that, hey, it's not working for us right now. It's okay. It's just not yet. But it doesn't mean it can't happen. And it seems like you've taken that approach in many areas of having that growth mindset to not only grow from statistics to data science, but then, you know, having been a lead data, data scientist to the chief data scientist at IBM and many other leadership roles to founding Our Ladies and now being a principal cloud advocate in Microsoft, I would definitely say you have a growth mindset. But more importantly, I'm curious, how did you not only become a data scientist, but then move from just a data scientist to a leadership role? Because I think that's where a lot of individuals struggle in a technical role. In a technical role, you can very much be like task oriented and, and good at doing your 
job and making models and then moving into leadership, it's a whole new set of skills that are needed. And there oftentimes aren't a lot of education that goes in for that transition. There's a lot of education on learning Python or learning R and classes you can find all that. But how do you go from learning those technical skills to now leading and driving that technical change? Yeah, and that's interesting because like you can be also like there is a distinction that you can be you can be a leader or you are leading a team, but you are not a manager or you are a manager and a leader. There is also this distinction that we we can have that you are leading, but you are not managing people. And I would say it's much harder like to learn than it is to learn like Python or any other technical aspect. And in my experience, the skills came with the experience that I had and, and the flexibility of like trying different things. As I was mentioning before, like doing my, like my, my, my bachelor or like my university years, I was doing so many different things. One of them was I was working with bands, like I was a, a music producer. So, and I had to do a lot of things that I didn't know, but I was learning as I, as I was doing it. So there was a lot of learning and, and things that, that I took from that period was, first of all, how to talk to people because I had to talk to people. I had to go to places and t- try to sell the, the concerts to, to like the place to host us or go to the newspaper and say, hey, can you please write something about the band? We are going to do a concert in a month. So it was a lot of like this human connection and human conversation, trying also like to, to talk and, 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 um, so I, a lot of like, again, learnings from that piece I, I, I took away from me and I used when I became a leader and a manager. The other piece was around the community that you mentioned, right? There is a lot of like involvement that a lot of tasks and things that you have to manage and, and you have to coordinate and you have to unblock people. You have to listen for that feedback. Maybe there is something that is not working with the community or something that is not working on their chapter that they are leading that we have to listen and get the feedback uh, and then maybe do some action or work together to solve a conflict. So, uh, and, and that takes me to the, the valuable lesson from like my life is like any Anything that you do is going to be, is valuable and it's not a waste of your time, even though during the time you think it is. And it took years for me to (laughs) understand that. And now when I look back, I'm like, I'm so glad that I did it. I want to just like reiterate that point that you said, which is anything that you do is not a waste of your time. It, and mainly because I think it's so important for us to recognize and hear that in Lidetsukin because I know a lot of our listeners are career changers. And so maybe we've spent like 10 years in a marketing field, in a finance field, and now we want to get into AI and we're like, oh, I feel like I'm starting over. And no, not at all. Like you're taking all this really rich experience or you could even have been a music producer, right? Whatever it is, any of those experiences, it's not a waste of time and it's going to show up and make you unique and give you probably a competitive advantage compared to others because you're bringing this new experience 
and this diversity of what makes innovation thrive. Exactly. And I value that so much, so much right now. Like with, with, when I'm hiring someone, I try to look beyond their resume and I, and, and I feel the resume doesn't tell the whole story. That's why I usually like to spend some time talking to the, to the person that I'm interviewing to know more about their story. And people have the misconception that what only matter matters are the things that are going to be related to the job that you're applying for, where I think it's, it's, it's not true. Like there are a lot of things that you bring, all the, all the baggage, all your experience, all the diversity of experiences that you have, that's going to be so valuable and will bring the uniqueness and uh, the innovation, because like we have all these different minds and experiences together, that's going to be the best of the, the, the what do you say, like the best of the worlds, like the best of all the, the things. So do you have any advice for individuals who want to share more of their story, maybe on their resume? And I mean, we could get into how terrible resumes are, I'm sure, and make a whole lot of conversation, but that's what we're working with today, right? Is we submit a resume. How do you go beyond just the job experience of what's applicable and really share more of your story? Is it adding more of your experiences, your hobbies, like any recommendations for how to best communicate that? Yeah, the best way is, well, you pass the resume, the resume piece, because when you apply, there are a lot of like signals that they need you to get. So once you you pass that one, Make sure that you tell your story and, and, and be, be you, be yourself. I, I feel like when we talk about us, it's so much easier than if we talk about something else that we don't own, but our own experience, it's ours. So it's easier for us to, to share that or to sell, not to sell, but like to share that experience because we lived that experience. So like once you pass the resume, which is unfortunately it's a way should go to the next level or to the next step, step, make sure that you tell your story. Tell like things, like things that it, sometimes, again, I'm going back to that same, the same point. It's like things that we think it's not important. That thing can be important to the hiring manager because it's a signal that that's something that they are looking for and not all, all the, the other candidates have. It's something unique and special for you. That uniqueness, is that something that you can then incorporate into your unique leadership style? And how do you, when you're moving into a leadership position, not try and just copy the other leaders around you, but really develop your own style and your unique own way of leading? Do you have any tips for people on how to best bring it, your authenticity into leadership? Yeah, your your experience is like the things that you bring. Your experience is going to be, it's going to relate to other people. Like it, they they will see themselves and you as well, and they will create some kind of like empathy. So instead, of, like we are not robots. We are not well. We are not like the same. The same. Like I'm so glad that we have this uniqueness that we bring as humans, and every person is different, and your style is going to be different from. Maybe my manager and my style is going to be different than your than your style, and I'm glad that we have this this range of like styles 
there are some like things that we all share, right? That it's important for us as a manager to have, but there are so many other aspects that each of us bring that it's going to be relevant to the team that you are leading. So in addition to leading teams and being a very successful data scientist and AI leader, you're also the founder of multiple communities, particularly our ladies, which I love and I'm a big fan of. What was the inspiration behind starting our ladies or just community in general? Why do you feel like there is such a need for community? I love this question because communities are such a important piece of like who I am and the things that I love. I'm, I'm, it's like my passion. It's one of my biggest passions. I can tell the story about our ladies. The story behind our ladies was the following. So first of all, our ladies is R is a programming language that is used by data scientists, data analysts, journalists, biologists, like pretty much anyone can use R. It's, it's friendly and, and, and there is a huge community behind or supporting the language. But it all started when I came to San Francisco in 2012 and I found out the meetup, the meetup.com webpage. And I was amazed by the amount of like groups. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I'm this, I mean, the center of the center of the technology. And there is this web page where people get together. There are events where they talk about different technologies and anything that you can, that you can learn. Either it's a technology or you want to learn how to cook a specific dish or you want to go for a hike. This sense of community, right? I was like, wow, this is incredible. So I started like signing up for everything and things that I knew, things that I had no idea. And, and then I, I joked that it was kind of like going to the Disneyland, Disney, where you look one side, you look at the other side, there are so many attractions and you don't know which one to choose from. That was me on the meetup.com website. I'm like, wow, data visualization, sign up. SQL, sign up. Big data and Hadoop, sign up. R, Python. And I was like crazy signing up. And then the other joke that I make is I was a student. So my budget was very restricted. I didn't, I, I couldn't spend much. And the meetups, the events here, especially in San Francisco, they were like high level in the sense of like, no, not high level, like very well made in the sense of like, they all were in these very fancy offices and every event had some type of food, like dinner or pizza or like more fancy kind of like dishes. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm like lying for free. And having dinner for free every night. So for me, it was the best of the world. <laughs> I was combining two things, like knowledge and, and food. And then I was also like amazed, but like by, you know, like all the people behind, this is a volunteer work, right? They are doing this because they like, because they love, because they, they like this sense of community and like be sharing and sharing knowledge and learning from each other. And I was like, yeah, so like they are doing this after work, doing their free time and for free. And then I started thinking like, 
Well, this is like a cycle, right? So like people are giving this for free. You are getting it. And then the next step would be for you to give back, right? So like you get, you give, someone get and give, someone get and give. It's like a cycle. And and I mean, my mind made a lot of sense. Like for this to keep going, we need to do the next. And then the person, the other person will do the next. It's like a snowball effect. Then after going to all these meetups, I was like, okay, I think now it's my time to give back. I learned a lot. Uh, let's, let's think about something that I can give back or that I can share. And I was using R back then in Brazil already. And R was also like something that I really enjoyed. And I'm like, okay, maybe I should talk or give a lecture or should start a meetup in R. But the other piece that intrigued me that I, that I, I, I saw by going to this event was like the, the majority of the audience was white men. And me as a, you know, a Latina woman, I didn't feel welcome. I was always on my, the corner, like afraid of like talking to people or I, I didn't feel included. And then I said, okay, maybe I should do something with R but more to like more focus on people like me or people that don't feel welcome or included in the general meetup. So that's how Our Ladies was born. So that was 2012. And then uh, 2016, Our Ladies became global. And then we exploded. So Our Ladies nowadays, we have over 100,000 members in more than 60 countries and over 200 cities. So it's huge, 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 huge. That's incredible. I mean, what an inspiring story. And I love the motto of this cycle, right? Of like, hey, you got something from going to meetups and you were able to learn, got a free meal, right? And But then we're able to take that and say, cool, I'm not just going to benefit from this and then go on and live my life, but I'm going to take how I've been inspired, the knowledge I've gained and now go give it back to others. And I think that is truly how we change the world, right? It's like, okay, We've benefited by, from something. Now we're going to go and take and share that. And I know in, in women in data, we like to use the slogan, like you get what you give, right? So back to that cycle that it's always going on and even love the visual of this like snowball effect, right? I think we really truly can change the world. Like it's exponential. And I'm like, all it does is take one touching someone else. And I'm like, that's how things grow and achieve things and i'm like i love exponential let's do this <laughs> exactly how this is how we scale and this is how we we also reach like very specific population if we we want to you know reach those especially remote population and and like very underserved population it's like and there's like one by one and community and yeah it's just like amazing and and people think like I don't, I don't even know how confident or like, like I was never like very confident, but I don't know kind of like the strength that I got to be able to say, I'm going to do something. I'm going to do something in a place that I don't know anyone. I'm new here. I don't know the language very well. I don't have friends over here, but I'm going to try. And I, I don't even know how, like where I got this, this confidence and this strength maybe because it was something that I was passionate about and I'm like I don't have friends over here I'm going to create my own community 
so then I can have this space, <laughs> any space. Yeah, we, I, we also in women did use the term community equals confidence. And I feel very much the same. Like I didn't have, I was a little outside of the Bay Area when women in data started. So I saw all the great meetups happening in the Bay Area and Sacramento it was too far to travel on like a weekday. Cause I'm like, I have to wake up early in the morning to go to work. And I'm also a full-time student. And so it really just started out of necessity too, of like, I didn't have any confidence, <laughs> but I wanted friends working in this space as well. And I also wanted a place where I could feel included and belong similar to focus on our ladies or women. And I think truly it's the community that has given me confidence. And that is like how we all grow. It's like when we feel a sense of belonging in our space and see others like us doing the same or when I see people achieving things, it inspires me. I mean, just talking to you and hearing how much our ladies has grown, I'm inspired. And it's like, yes, we can do this. And it gives me new hope. And so I just encourage everyone, like, be a part of a community. Like, if you want confidence, like, give to a community because it will give everything right back to you. I agree 100%. I don't think I would be confident, as confident as I am today, or like have the courage that I have today, or be where I am today if it wasn't because of the community. So in addition to Our Ladies, you are also the founder of AI Inclusive. So I love the name. It, you have, it says that the mission is to increase representation of particularly minority groups in AI, which I think is fantastic. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you guys are doing at AI Inclusive as well and how you're helping minority groups get into AI? Yeah, when when I founded AI Inclusive in, in 2019, I had this whole idea in my mind uh, that I wanted to expand to be kind of like language agnostic. And also it was back then when the whole explosion of AI, AI was happening in the sense of like, all the companies were using AI. We were talking about the AI. And more than that, there was a whole discussion around the, reper the repercussion or the effect of these algorithms on people's life. And most of these discussions were happening in, again, here in Silicon Valley or US 